Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Our digital enterprise CIO assembly brought us together with chief data strategist of Oracle, Paul Sonderegger. After Paul delivered our opening keynote address, he took the hot seat and chatted with us about what the company's focus is as we start the new year, as well as what truly sets them apart from their competitors. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be here. So can you just share with our members and audience a little bit more about yourself and your work at Oracle? Sure. So uh, I'm a strategist in uh, the data management organization, and my job really has two parts. One is uh, internally facing, talking with the heads of product management about how the competitive environment is changing, what enterprises are interested in, and how that should inform our product direction. And then the other part of my job is uh, in the outside world, telling the story about what Oracle is up to, how this very large uh, portfolio of Oracle products fits together, and what that means for data capital and for increasing the return on uh, data assets. Where does your passion for data and technology come from? I uh, am an English major with a tech habit. So my background is actually in literature. So I come to this whole perspective on data from this perspective of ideas, ideas and the ways that they uh, connect together. So when I'm talking with customers about the data assets that they have accumulated and created and the ways that they use them, it's really a conversation about how have these unique observations that you've created about the world, uh, how can you then apply them uh, in order to take advantage of the ideas that they represent and the measures and, and metrics that they represent? In your fantastic keynote yesterday, you brought up the term data capital. Can you just unpack this term slightly and share with us how data is used every day? Sure. When we talk about data capital, what we're saying is is not a metaphor. It's not data is the new oil or data is the new gold, electricity, whatever the metaphor may be. What we're saying is that data fulfills the literal economic textbook definition of capital. So capital uh, is a produced good, unlike a natural resource that you dig up out of the ground. And so you have to invest to create it. But more importantly, capital is an input into some other good or service. It's what economists call an economic factor of production. If you don't have that factor of production, you can't produce the good or service you're thinking of. So uh, if you have got some kind of fraud detection algorithm, you've got some kind of recommendation AI, but lack the data to feed it, then you cannot deliver that service. The data is uh, an economic factor of production in digital goods and services, and that means that it is a kind of capital. What is one mistake you witness CIO leaders making more frequently than others? And what piece of advice do you have for CIOs here at the Assembly? Well, one of the common misperceptions about data um, is that it is a record of what happened and that that's it. That's its job. And this, is, uh, this has been the case, uh, you know, for the decades and decades of uh, the IT industry. Um, uh, but the, the mistake is to miss the other part of data's identity, and that is that it is capital, and that it is an input into creating digital goods and services. So for a lot of executives, the, a lot of IT executives, they think about data in terms of keeping it safe in terms of protecting it, in terms of preserving these records, in terms of disaster recovery, business continuity. But what they miss 
is the option value of these data assets, the potential to make actions in the business, decisions in the business, more efficient, higher quality, lower risk by injecting that data into some new digital good or service. As Oracle's senior data strategist, how have you seen your company differentiate from the competition? Well, Oracle, of course, has an extensive history in data management and in really in taking care of data where that data is reality. So in inventory management, for example, you can do your count of your inventory. That's what the system says. And then you can go and count stuff on the shelf. They're like, oh, they're different. And the real world wins. Well, for your account balance in your checking account, my account balance in my checking account, there is no stack of money. There is no stack of dollars or yen to compare that number to. That number is reality. Those bits are the world. Uh, And so Oracle has uh, an exceptional set of uh, practices, of uh, architectural methods, of implementation practices around a world of data where the data is reality. And so one of the things that Oracle is now doing uh, is translating that kind of really rigorous thinking, really rigorous implementation around architectural choices, around uh, security practices, translating that to this world of data that often is created much more incidentally. You know, log files that come off of smart sensors, click streams that are created uh, by interactions with websites or interactions with uh, or log of actions, you know, from interactions with mobile sites. Um, So this really is where uh, Oracle has a distinct advantage of having come from a history of treating data like capital. And uh, and so now the, the practice that we're entering into is one of creating this kind of data plane Uh, that goes across delivery environments, across public cloud, across local cloud, across on-premises, where all kinds of different data assets, you know, irrespective of their, the structure that they're born in, uh, where all kinds of data assets get this same level of uh, protection as they move from their point of origin, whatever that was, to their many, many points of use. In terms of data capital, from your perspective and Oracle's, what you know, industry sector, whether it's automotive, healthcare, retail, is really leading from the front? So the financial services world for a long time has been in the vanguard of uh, adopting new technologies, experimenting with them, figuring out how to apply them. And that is the case in data capital as well. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's one area. Uh, but, you know, we also see areas in pharmaceutical research, for example, where uh, pharmaceutical firms are starting to revisit research they've already done revisit data assets they've already created in order to look at data they've collected about potential therapies through a new lens, perhaps a slightly different formulation, perhaps a different um, uh, dosage, in order to find out what happens then to the effectiveness of that therapy. This is a case where these existing data assets, past research, they they have a second life. And these uh, companies are capturing the option value of those data assets, using them in a new way to answer new questions. And in some cases, as with a a, a recent uh, new therapy for Alzheimer's, uh, the answer is, oh, the the option value on that data leads to an effective therapy um, simply because they were able to ask uh, a different question in a new way, even of the same uh, data assets. 
unlike oil, for example, where you burn it and it's gone, yeah. data's not like that. You can use it multiple times for multiple different purposes. You know, and I should say that this idea of option value for data uh, comes from uh, uh, Ken uh, Kukie, uh, who is the data editor at The Economist for a long time, uh, in in a in a book that that he wrote. Uh, but this idea that the secondary usage, the secondary value of data may in fact be more valuable than the primary one is one of the ideas that's just starting to percolate uh, among uh, leadership in uh, large enterprises. So we, we expect to see the fruits of that increase uh, over the coming years. Why is data liquidity so important and how can the C-suite executives improve on their data liquidity? Well, remember that uh, data capital is this idea that data is not just a record of what happened. It's an economic factor in producing new digital goods and services. And so one of the curious things about data is that the vast majority of value created from data in the digital economy happens inside the same four walls of the company that created it. Most data doesn't have a market price. Most data does not get sold as raw data. Uh, now, we know, of course, that some does, uh, and there are really critical uh, security and privacy implications around that practice. But most value from data is created by the same firm that originated the stuff. So what this means is that there is a supply of data inside of large enterprises, and that is not only growing in volume, but also diversifying coming from more applications, more sensors, more devices. There is also a demand for data assets. That also is growing and diversifying. More analytics, more uh, AI models that are using this data. So what you've got there is this hidden data economy, a supply side, demand side, inside of each large firm, but there are no market prices because departments don't really sell data to each other for a particular you know, chargeback. That's very, very rare. Okay, so if you have this hidden data economy, but there aren't good market signals about which data assets are more valuable than others, you know, more useful than others, uh, there aren't really good demand signals in terms of, okay, which data assets are more desirable, you know, among this diversifying set of analytics and algorithms, well, then the transaction costs in that economy are, are probably too high. It's a little bit hard to know because they often don't get measured. That also is an indicator that they're probably too high. So uh, this idea of data liquidity is a way of, of talking about uh, what is the ease with which um, data assets get from their point of origin to their multiple points of use. So data liquidity is the ability to get data from its point of origin to its multiple points of use efficiently. And this includes all the security measures, all of the time uh, that it takes in the skilled labor to make this happen, all of the cost uh, in terms of the software and hardware, however that is you know, used, whether it's provisioned from cloud, from public cloud or local cloud, uh, you know, what does that actually cost? So data liquidity uh, is all about reducing the time, the cost, the effort to get data from its point of origin to its many points of uses across the enterprise. So we've seen that AI has become more than a common trend among the C-suite executives. What potential do you see in using AI and how do you think it's going to affect the industry in the coming weeks, months, years? Sure. Uh, well, the way that, that Oracle thinks about artificial intelligence uh, is not as some kind of you know, large general uh, intelligence. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's great about being at Oracle is that Oracle is an engineering-led firm. So if you go to an engineer and you say something like, make me an artificial version of intelligence, they will say things like, 
I can't do that because we don't know how intelligence works. We still don't have a good, a good you know, a solid understanding of how the brain computes the mind. And so instead, uh, at, AI, uh, at, at, at Oracle, these uh, AI engineers, they said, I tell you what, we'll make you a whole bunch of little intelligences that get embedded in business processes. Because after all, that's where they create their value. Uh, so this is Oracle's approach to incorporating AI into the enterprise. Uh, it is to have this family of AIs that are part of supply chain management processes, inventory management processes, fraud detection processes, HR, you know, uh, uh, job candidate evaluation processes. And in each one of those, these AIs chewing on both the primary data created by that firm as well as secondary data uh, that, uh, that Oracle offers through a, a data marketplace. By combining those together, those AIs uh, then deliver uh, these incremental process improvements in efficiency, in quality, uh, in, in reduced risk throughout the, this set of activities across the enterprise. We're really thrilled that you and your, your colleagues at Oracle were able to join us here at the Assembly in Miami. You've obviously had meetings, you, you had a fantastic keynote, you know, the, the meals and networking. What benefits have you seen from being here at the Assembly, but also for executives at an you know, intimate conference like this? The real benefit of a Millennium Alliance event is that it's small. These are intimate events. And so in the roundtable discussions, this is uh, a place where, where CIOs uh, uh, today and yesterday get to uh, talk with each other um, about problems they're facing and then hear, okay, here's how we uh, addressed it. You know, here's how we face this. And in those roundtable discussions, you know, they're often also chaired by folks from academia, you know, professors who, who will bring in questions about current areas of research and how that intersects with industry practice. Uh, so it really is a, a great environment to share ideas that way. And it's, you know, it's the engaging conversations. Absolutely, yeah. And why do you think, you know, from, um, with all your customers, it's important to get out of the office and have these type of conversations like here at the assembly? Well, this is the, the basic value of the interchange of ideas. You've got to go talk to people who know things that you don't even know to ask about in order to have new ideas enter your thinking. How do you do that? You have to actually go get out of your normal operations, your normal routines, uh, and then go to a place that's filled with uh, people who you know, may speak your same language, but come from different industries, come from different backgrounds, come from different career experiences than yours, and then listen to them. Uh, yeah. Because it's likely in that kind of environment, they'll say something that you actually didn't know to ask about. Can't let you go without asking you for your number one prediction and your number one tip for the C-suite executives for 2020. The number one thing uh, I, I would tell executives to think about in, in this coming year is to look for the data that isn't there. So we generally talk about how data is abundant. Uh, it's all over the place. There's more than we can manage. It's true, but it totally misses the point. The point is, is that data, in fact, is scarce. Every individual data set is a unique asset, and companies are in competition with one another to create unique data assets. Uh, because if you digitize an interaction with your customers before your rival does, you get the observations from those interactions and your rival does not. Those observations then become input into some kind of uh, algorithmic optimization uh, for that activity. And this builds this virtuous cycle. So despite the fact that uh, CEOs, CIOs, 
lament the fact that they've got an enormous amount of data. Uh, they really need to kind of flip that perspective around and look for these opportunities in the world where they have not been digitized yet and uh, create unique data assets out of those before their rivals do. Paul Sondrega, thank you very much for joining us here at the Assembly. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to listen and subscribe to our podcast exclusively on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the inside scoop from top execs in the world of digital transformation.